Hi everyone, welcome back to Tate Talks, the Totally MSP podcast. Before we proceed with what some people are calling the difficult second podcast, I just wanted to thank everyone for the amazing feedback on episode one with Scott Tyson of Orvik. If you've not had a chance to listen to it yet, please do. Don't forget to subscribe. Scott and I really appreciate all the comments uh, from episode one. So, plug over. Time for today's guest. Craig Atkins of OneFix. I've known him for quite a while, and I found out quite a lot during this interview that I didn't know about him, including his really interesting mix of hobbies. So if you want to know more, listen on. Enjoy. Hi everyone, I'm sat here with Craig Atkins, Managing Director of OneFix, on a very, very warm day in leafy Berkshire. Is it Leafy Berkshire? It is Berkshire, absolutely. Berkshire. Um, yeah, not too far from Reading, uh, a really nice spot, it's a fantastic office. Um, so let's get things sort of kicked off. If maybe um, I've known you for quite a while for mm-hmm. different events and things, you've always been a sort of good partner of Datto and helped us out with different roadshows. So Thank I know you. a little bit about your story, but uh, for people listening, tell us uh, a little bit about um, Craig. About me, okay. Uh, yeah, so uh, hi, listeners, my name is Craig. Uh, so yeah, company's called One Fix Limited. Um, we've been an MSP. I suppose officially an MSP for maybe 10 or 11 years now. Um, originally, I formed the company uh, a long time ago, actually. It's probably back 2001. I'm having to think back now. Um, I think it was January 2001. So uh, I decided at the time that I was uh, I was working for different companies, and I'll go into kind of work background in a minute, but I was, uh, I was doing some work for a company, and um, I thought, oh, I quite fancy doing a bit of something on my own. Um, so I had a chat, I think I was down the pub with a friend at the time, and I said, well, you know, I don't really know what to do. I've got, you know, I want to try and do something on my own, but I don't know, I haven't got a clue what to do. And he said, well, look, you work in IT, and you kind of, you're a dab hand for all this sort of stuff. Why don't you look and do uh, do a bit of computer repair stuff? So I um, thought, so yeah, all right, I can turn my hand to that. So I sort of started up a, a really small business from home. I was living with my parents at the time. I think I would have been uh, 20 at the time. Uh, so I started up the business at home, and... Um, uh, essentially was fixing people's computers in my spare time in the evenings so uh, I used to I think from memory I, once I got things rolling I think my dad used to kind of uh, he was he was working from home at the time so he would uh, kind of field the phone for me in the daytime for the odd call that used to come through um, took an out an advert in the yellow pages um, chose a company name and I wanted to get to the top of the yellow pages at the time so looked at the list and there was lots of A's and things like that and I thought well what's going to what's going to put me to the top of the yellow pages so I thought well come four letters and the number one's the first number so where one fix came from one hyphen fix because the hyphen obviously is a, is a character so that brings you higher than someone with one A uh, so that was the sort of original evolution of where one fix came from we were a uh, sole trader business um, called one fix computer services um, and yeah so I had my yellow pages ever and at the time actually yellow pages used to work so I used to get quite a few calls through that and um, I've had this business then keeping me busy every night of the week going out to around Reading fixing people's home computers um, I guess what's now called referred to as break fix at the time it was just that's what I did and that's, that's all I knew it as um, and yeah I literally went out and charged them an hourly fee went and fixed things got them working didn't really do anything with businesses because obviously most businesses don't work in the evening so I was literally running it as a part time enterprise um, then I got to the stage where it, it was doing well enough that I thought I can probably go part-time in the day job um which i did and then i think within six months i i packed in the day job and started full-time doing these kind of uh home computers at the time um literally fixing things 
gradually did a little bit more businessy related stuff, but really it was kind of a it was very much a, a based little uh, occupational income business at the time. Um, and over time, it kind of morphed into what it's become now, and that's been quite a long process to uh, get to this stage. But um, it, it kind of went through this evolution of uh, becoming a full time business, then needing a kind of part time member of staff, then a full time member of staff, then looking at what we could do business-wise. And then the reason why I say we've been an MSP really for about 10 years is probably 2007, 2008 was probably around the time when we really became a limited company, formalised things a bit more, moved into a, what I would class as a proper office. So moving out of the home at the time and uh, doing much more in the way of commercial work and you know switching from away from that kind of brick fix model much more into the, uh, you know, well, again, we didn't know it's managed services at the time, but obviously that's what's become, but you know, more of a kind of contract revenue model and looking at what we could do for people on a monthly basis. And um, yeah, that's kind of where it evolved from um, from a business perspective. So. Cool. It's, um, I guess it's a path well trodden, kind of the, some, you know, obviously someone pointed out in the pub that you're good with computers. So logical thing to set, set your <laughs> company up, I guess. A lot of people probably in a similar boat. But um, going back uh, prior to that, um, what was, um, what got you into the industry in the first place? You mentioned that you're already working in IT. I mm -hmm. mean, did you, did you train in IT at school, or how did, how did, or where did your interest in yeah, business come from? Great question. Um, so, yeah, rolling back to kind of school years, um, I was at uh, I was actually at grammar school pupil, so I passed my eleven plus, and I went to local grammar school, Reading Grammar. Um, so I did my GCSEs at the time, and then started down. I did okay. I did pretty well at my GCSEs. Um, started down the A level route then, and I think in fact I remember I chose maths physics and technology and um, I had career aspirations to kind of follow my dad. Um, my dad was running his own engineering firm, a little, yeah, a little small business doing gear cutting and precision engineering. I thought, oh, that, that sounds like kind of my sort of thing. I could do a bit of engineering and mechanicing. Um, I thought, yeah, what, you know, what does an engineer need to do? Well, he probably needs to be able to do maths and physics and technology and I, and I, I kind of done okay at those at GCSE. Um, started my levels and I really struggled and I found it so difficult to kind of memorise all these different formulas you needed for physics and you know, whereas I think I've probably got an A at GCSE in physics I think once I got through the first year of my A-levels I realised that uh, carried on down that path I was either going to fail them or get a horrendous grade so it was uh, I kind of faced myself with a decision that it was either kind of stay back a year and essentially change my change my A-level choices or um, reset the first year again or carry on and probably fail and you know essentially I don't remember exactly what happened, but I think, you know, decision-wise, I looked at it and I thought, actually, I, I'm not enjoying the A-levels. I don't think I'm, it's what I want to do, so I think I want to go and start working. So uh, I didn't really have experience in IT at the time. I'd always had computers, so from an early age, my dad, you know, we had, you know, the first computer we had was a, well, we had a Spectrum and, you know, BBC Micros and those kind of things. I think we had an 8086 and then we had a 386. <coughs> so going back in historical times from home computers, but I'd always fiddled around and, you know, it was, from, as a kid, I was kind of doing a bit of programming and things. So I thought, you know, computers maybe is where I want to kind of go. Um, so yeah, I left school with just GCSEs, um, left all my friends doing their A-levels and going off to uni. Um, and I actually went to the job centre, oddly enough. So that was, uh, you know, I've never been to the job centre before. I went to the job centre because I thought that's where you go to get a job. So I had a look and there was a, a company that was local that were looking, they were advertising that they wanted people to come in and do some 3D graphics work and I thought that sounds fantastic. So I took the job interview it was a fairly kind of menial on the pay grade, but it was a, it was a job and it was in the right industry. Um, I accepted the role and um, immediately ended up working for a company in Woodley and 
was working in a basement of a building actually bench testing scanners so it was it was like a bait and switch the job that I ended up doing initially was absolutely not the job that was advertised and um, once I've done a month or two and I've been in the door I realised that the setup of this company at the time was that they had a group of businesses and uh, one of them was a literally a bench repair business and what they were doing is they were getting in scanners UMAX UTAX I can't remember particular scanners they were but they were these old parallel kind of all scuzzy scanners and literally connect it up test it is it working yes put it on that pile is it not no put it on that pile that's kind of one of their businesses and they were doing a little bit of testing stuff um, they had another business that was kind of uh, doing outsourced technical support for Hewlett Packard printers at the time uh, and they had a third business that was doing 3D graphics and uh, graphic design and all this kind of stuff so um Although I'd applied for a job in the third company, I kind of ended up in the first one. Um, so I went and ended up complaining to the job centre that, you know, essentially I'd, I'd had a bait and switch. So then I got moved to the second company. So I ended up kind of essentially in a call centre doing uh, support for HP for uh, on printers for a little while. So um, you know, at one point in the uh, late 90s, I'd have been an expert on desk jet printers and laser jet printers. I don't really remember much of that now, but... Uh, I used to know how to take them to bits and you know how to talk people through doing things on the phone and that kind of thing. So, um, although again it wasn't quite the job I applied for, that was much more interesting. Um, and then from there, eventually, I got got into the the part of the business I wanted to be in. So I was uh, doing some development and graphics and stuff. And this was at the time when, um, from a home PC point of view, there really wasn't much in the way of three D graphics. It was just about coming on. So uh, within the office side, we had uh, a silicon graphics workstation and we had all this really kind of cool three D kit. We had a VR thing that was, I mean, nowadays archaic but it was you know it was cutting edge at the time and um we got involved with some projects of kind of um developing um walkthroughs of supermarkets so one of the projects we did was um we used to take 2d cad drawings of um, waitrose stores and we would uh loft them into 3d and actually develop a walkthrough so we'd actually kind of render these things out to like a vhs videotape and they i think it was uh the client was a developer and the client would then take those to waitrose and show them the essentially like a walkthrough of what the store was going to look like before they built it so uh it was great. It was amazing stuff, and it was you know really cutting edge. And uh, a colleague of mine that I used to work with the other day, we we found one of the old videotapes from uh, one of the walkthroughs in like two thousand. And uh, again, you look back on it now, and it just looks looks horrific. But you know, quality wise, but at the time it was really cutting edge. Um, and then that business kind of went down the down the tubes because it was the year when essentially Nvidia launched the GeForce card and um, revolutionised computer graphics. Really, so all of this stuff that we had high end kit to do suddenly you could do much cheaper, the market opened up, there was people everywhere doing this sort of stuff and um, I left that business. Um, went on to, from there, to work for a company, uh, again, local to us, a place called Crowthorn. Um, I will name check the company because I'm still good friends with them, a company called Desire Technology. Um, at the time they were doing, um, again, kind of, it was almost like MSP stuff, but it, you know, again, at the time it was never known as managed services. We were doing, um, the company specialised in like, providing infrastructure for companies, so they were doing infrastructure kind of as a service, um, and high availability was their speciality, so they had some fantastic systems at the time to kind of take systems and make them highly available, and this was again in the days, you know, well before data existed and all these kind of things, there wasn't, there were no off-the-shelf products that did this apart from really expensive stuff, so they were building these solutions to kind of run, you know, EPOS systems, highly available and back-end systems, so then, but actually I joined them as kind of a web developer, so actually I was, uh, I was doing some web development stuff into ASP and VB programming um, but it was a small company so there was probably 10 or 12 staff there at the time and we were really close knit so I got to kind of dip my hands and dip my toes into lots of different things in terms of IT and at that point that's when I kind of spun my own stuff off in the background but um, so I'm still friends with those guys there you know um, 
was fantastic. They really gave me kind of a leg up into the IT industry and uh, their business has progressed and changed and they're much more into kind of managed hosting and cloud services now and I think they're doing bits and pieces with specifically kind of gaming hosting in Guernsey, I think, or Jersey and... Uh, no, sorry, uh, Gibraltar, actually. So um, they've got... You know, they're, they're still in the business. They're just still doing some fantastic stuff and, um, yeah, still still friends with the people there. So it's... Um, yeah, they really kind of gave me the leg up. So, yeah, in terms of actual career progression, I've really only kind of worked for essentially two other companies and then done my own thing. Um, I suppose five companies if you count all the odds. Well, no, sorry, four companies if you count all the odd bits and businesses of the one group that I worked for. But... Um, so yeah, fairly kind of straight line progression into IT, but um, yeah, not not a uh, nothing kind of uh, academically down that route. I mean, I think again, thinking back in terms of what the school had at the time, I think uh, this was around the time. I don't know if you remember, but I think there was there was a group of computers from Acorn Computers, and Acorn had this big push of getting into the education market. And I can't remember if there was Apricot as well. That might have been another brand, but there was this whole thing of I think our whole computer suite was essentially these. Uh, these computers that weren't quite PCs so that you could kind of run compatible things on them but they weren't PCs so uh, yeah my whole PC upbringing was from from a home side of things and then from what I kind of got into in industry so uh, very much self-taught cool that's interesting and I do remember Apricot computers myself actually and the uh, <laughs> and the Acorn the Archimedes line mm, which, that's right. which became um, I guess through a sort of fairly convoluted history became the um, the ARM processor which powers pretty much every um, uh, mobile device in the world didn't realise that was a progression there you uh, go. British Thank success story um, so obviously you went from employee to employer mm-hmm. or a sole trader initially what, um, what what was that like making that transition what surprised you the most being sort of business owner as, sort of being, as opposed to being a sort of an employee of a company um, another good question I think being a business owner at the time, I just it always seemed like something I thought I wanted to do. So I, I think it's um, I think it's something that either people kind of have a hankering for and they think, you know, I really want to do my own thing, or other people just think, you know, what I really wouldn't want all this pressure responsibility. Um, I think the sole trader side of things was quite nice. And actually, looking back on it now, I think, well, you know what? Occasionally, when you're having a really bad day, you think, oh, you know what? I could just you could chop everything in and just take the most you know the most lucrative stuff and just go back and be a sole trader. You think and you think, no, that just wouldn't work at all. It wouldn't scale. But um, I can understand the time when I was doing it and I was at that stage and I was trying to grow everything. I really couldn't understand when I had a few clients that would turn around. You know, I did some work for a little plumbing firm and this guy had uh, I think eight staff and he said, you know, I've been bigger. I've had 20 staff and actually I want to scale back. I'm, I've, I've laid people off because I just don't like the hassle of this. I really like it being small. And I could never understand that at the time. And then uh, I progressed through and, you know, you, you, you take on more responsibilities and you do more and you grow a business. I, can, I understand why that mentality is there and people don't necessarily want to take that on because it's um it brings on a whole new a whole new kettle of fish I guess because I mean when I when I first started out I mean when you're a sole trader you do everything so you are you're the accounts person you're the marketing person you're the you're the everything person and um it's great from the point of view of kind of building a skill set and learning how to do things um founders that you know as I've grown the business and as it's become much more formalized it's become um it's a blessing and a curse because as the business grows and as you grow it from being your baby, it's uh, you have to relinquish roles that you used to do and you used to get involved with, and you have to obviously empower other people to do that. And that's um, that's an interesting personal development thing, I think, from my perspective, is to letting go of things and letting people run things and actually, you know, let them do it their way. If they make a mistake, that's fine. They're doing it their way and uh, nurturing those people. I think that's that's a difficult sort of transition to go through, and we've done that, and um, that's, it, it's fun. I'll say it's challenging but fun. Um, I think it's kind of difficult when you, again, the position I'm in at the moment, we don't have a dedicated sales team here, so I am kind of the 
the sales guy, I'm still really the face of the business from that point of view. So my role at the moment really is doing business strategy and doing new business development. And again, eventually we'll, you know, we're outsourcing more of that sales function, but you know, I'm sure at some point in time we'll eventually grow it in-house and we'll bring people in. Um, stage again, I won't be doing that because I, I, do, I don't have the skill set to head up a sales team. It's not something I've, you know, it's something I've done because I've had to do it, not because I'm the expert at it. So uh, I've identified that you kind of, the things you're good at and the things you're not good at is um, kind of a key part of that um, growth from kind of sole trader up to a limited company. Um, I, yeah, I say, I, I, I enjoy it. I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't. So it's, um, it's, it's good fun. It's just, it's interesting. It's an interesting transition. So. From an employment point of view, what was the first hire you made and how did that feel? Sort of having, I guess, the responsibility of looking at paying someone else mm. their livelihood. Uh, yeah, so the first hire I ever had was, uh, again, it was back in the days when I was, it was primarily doing domestic stuff. We were working out of my, I'd moved out from my mum and dad's now, I'd moved in with uh, my, she was my wife at the time, whether she was my girlfriend, but anyway, she became my wife, but we, we moved it together. Um, we converted our home garage into basically a small little workshop, tiny little workshop, and uh, at the stage where I was out doing so many kind of site visits at the time that we said, we need somebody else to kind of help with this. So uh, she... I think she was still working at the time. She was working for a firm of solicitors, but eventually she came on into the business to kind of help with the admin. As again, I think most kind of husband-wife businesses end up that way that, you know, someone's good at one side, someone's good at the other side. She's always been very good at the organisational side. So, um, but the first hire was uh, a young chap. Say so he was the son of one of my customers, a lad called George, and he worked for us for six or eight months. Um, and actually it was, it was great from the point of view that, yeah, it freed up some time. But still at the time when you know really was trying to grow the business, so it was very peaky work-wise. And actually, um, it was my first hire and the first person I had to make redundant, unfortunately. So I hired him. So we had him for about six or eight months. Um, things didn't feel like they were quite going where we needed them to go, so we had to make him redundant. Um, and it was yeah, that was hard actually. It was, it, again, you kind of personally, I have a real the people part of things is really one of the things I really enjoy about the business. So. Feel like I'm really invested in my employees from that point of view. I really, you know, we do a lot here socially. We all try and get on. We all do get on. To be fair, you know, we only really hire people that we like as part and parcel. And again, I'm sure as we get bigger, we'll end up hiring people we don't like. But uh, we try and keep people on the team that we uh, we all get on with. So we all do lots of social stuff, and um, it does make it a bit difficult when you kind of have to do that kind of be the nasty boss and either telling people off or letting them go. But uh, but yeah, so George was my first experience of uh, hiring and firing, um, and. I think from that point we didn't take anybody else on at home but we decided that we got to the stage where we felt again that we needed somebody and we decided we didn't want to we essentially didn't want people to be working out of our home garage it didn't feel like the right thing so that's the kind of that's what transitioned us to kind of, kind of move to an office and um kind of where that that genesis and that growth that birth came from i guess was from having that first employee and um doing our toes in the water with it so and you've now grown pretty pretty quickly then. So you in that uh, sort of ten years of being an MSB, you're now up to how many staff have you currently? Uh, there's now eight of us actually. So we kind of we had a I'd say it's a steady growth. I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's necessarily quick. I go and see you know it's one thing I'm I struggle with a bit is I go and you know I go and meet lots of other MSPs. I see things. I think crikey, those guys are going great guns. You know why why aren't we doing as well as they are or whatever? But actually, I think we've grown in a very kind of steady, progressive way. I mean, I think. Was looking at the figures the other day, and I think you know year on year we're doing between twenty and thirty percent growth year on year, which for us feels good. Um, it's manageable. We can scale the team. Um, of my work in the last kind of six months, actually, has been looking at you know we've, as you say, we're in a we're in a nice office now. We've kind of we've moved into something that's bigger than we need. We've got space to grow. So what we're doing now is kind of uh, 
business plan for the future in terms of how we grow the, the team and how we, we ramp up because again as we're we've always grown to kind of within capacity of the team and then employed new people and actually we've got to now scale for the growth that we're going to experience because we know where we're going to be over the next three years and we're going to need more people um, but part of that it's always been a bit of a challenge most of the guys that I've got the work here we say guys we have a lady as well it unfortunately is still very male heavy even when we're recruiting people we struggle to find good good female recruits um, but uh, what we found is that a lot of the people we work with are either people that we've had recommended to us or that have come proactively to us when we've kind of gone out to market to try and recruit people we've struggled to find the right kind of staff so um, of what we're doing going forward now is kind of a, an in-house almost like an in-house academy so we've got um, two of where we've got one member of staff who went through an apprenticeship program and is now with us as a full-time employee we've got another member of staff who is an apprentice at the moment uh, part and parcel of our plan going forward for our growth is that probably on a four monthly basis we'll be taking on apprentices going forward so we'll be kind of skilling up internally and growing those people so kind of grow your own team um, possibly recruiting in some higher level people from industry but um, we really want to kind of work on an internal nurture and a, like a knowledge academy and really kind of grow our own people because we found that good people in the MSP, MSP sphere are normally either snapped up or uh, people are coming out of industry and they're very very niche on what they do so finding a really good you know we, we want a team of generalists we want really good people that have got fantastic general skill set and really good troubleshooting and uh that turn their hand to different products and um, finding those people is really difficult. So, you know, that's why we've taken the decision to become apprentices, grow our own people and um, it's it's worked really well so far. So, so we have a very young team from that point of view, actually. Most of our, I think our, uh, I think I'm probably one of the oldest people in the business. Most people here are under 30. Um, some of them are under 20. So it's, um, it's pretty pretty young and dynamic from that point of view. So it makes me feel old. Yeah, well, it makes me feel even older than <laughs> So I guess... Um, about sort of the challenges that MSPs have. Obviously, we at Dato do regular surveys, and you mentioned two two of them. Mm-hmm. So one of which is recruitment, which is obviously a constant challenge for MSPs to recruit yeah, the right 100%. people. Um, and secondly, uh, sales and marketing, and obviously that's an area that you're responsible for now. Mm-hmm. The other pages no longer exist. So <laughs> I, think I think they've gone out of business. So what's the um, where do the leads come from now? Is that it, what's replaced the other pages? Yeah, well, that's really difficult because that's. You know, it was always the joke that, you know, put an advert in the yellow pages, you'll get business. And it really was that simple, honestly. You put an advert in the yellow pages and you literally did get calls. So um, I guess transitioning from that, what what came along was obviously Google becoming the all-conquering search engine. Um, so again, roll back to the early 2000s and you could buy some AdWords and they were cheap and that, that worked for a bit. And then uh, diversified, you know, Yell.com had a go at trying to replace yellow pages. That never really worked. Um, now in terms of where leads come from I mean for us it's always been our and this is probably a reason for our I'd say steady growth rather than stellar growth is that a lot of the growth a lot of the growth has come from networking referrals people that we've got to know Um, I'm an absolute firm believer in um, know like and trust it's the case that people will do business with people they get to know and they get to like you know with networking, it's one of those things, it's a very slow burn. You go out to meet people, you see people, it's very rare you'll ever win a piece of business off the back of a single networking event. But I think getting your name out there and getting to know people cements those relationships. And I've had business come to me now that, you know, from people that I met 10 years ago that I stayed in touch with. So it absolutely does work. Um, never going to be a rapid growth from that point of view, I think. Um, and that's kind of what we're putting in place now is actually a program more around kind of uh, initiating more outbound again. So doing more in the way of kind of profile raising telemarketing LinkedIn you know LinkedIn work LinkedIn advertising um, what I lament from that is that it's so expensive now so you know go back to 
by your advert in the yellow pages it wasn't very expensive and it used to work now you can do a million different things and you've got to sort of really be on top of where you're spending your money and what's working and what isn't working and I think they're um, I don't think there's a magic bullet I think um, vendors are great with that from the point of view of you know that's how with uh, market now you know there's there's resources there that we can kind of automate um, we've just about to start a similar incentive with uh, HP they're doing a kind of a, a marketing program where again they'll do some lead generation and Microsoft stuff so if that works great if that generates something new fantastic but again our strategy really is around the back of um, building a network whether that's through face-to-face networking telemarketing and then um, yeah, and talking to those people and um, our, initially our aim over the next three years is to kind of uh, I guess win the business around this way so I mean we've always been um, fairly regional you know everything because of because the business is spun off the back of networking you know I'd say 90% of the business we do is with people within 15 miles of the office um, we're so lucky in Reading that there's such a big community of business so I think we've got a massive on-tap market still here there's lots of people that work with MSP so our, our mission over the next three years is to essentially win Berkshire become the, become the leading MSP in Berkshire and there are some real big players here so uh, but the big players aren't necessarily big in the local market they're kind of big national players so I think um, yeah, three year goal is, is win, win Berkshire become the leading MSP for Berkshire and uh, see where that takes us but I think we can do that off the back of the you know the service levels that we deliver and um, think we still can still think people like to deal local so I mean again we do deal with some companies that are we deal with some companies that are international but primarily we've won that business because they've got a head office in the area and we've met the people that we need to meet so uh, that's how I see that's where I see we're going kind of from that point of view so. Cool well um, I guess I'm reluctant to ask this question because it sounds like you're pretty busy you've got quite a lot on <laughs> um, but what do you what sort of interest have you got outside of one fix or do you get much time to spend and have you got any particular hobbies or interests that you take your, your spare time Yeah I do um, so I try and uh, try and shut down out of the back of the business and uh, because I've been in it so long that's actually become easier over time years ago I used to be so invested with spending every free minute I had doing things now actually I like my private time I like my personal time so um, last year uh, I took on a hobby that's been a passion of mine for a long time and I've never been able to realise it and that's uh, doing some motor racing so um, I've always been a kind of a car fanatic I've always attended loads of car events I've had uh, a few customers that have done motor racing and one that became a friend of mine that um you know i go and support him with his racing and kind of almost kind of help mechanic his car um last year i started to take the plunge so i joined something called uh the caterham academy so caterham is a little two-seater sports car for people that aren't familiar it's an evolution of what was a car from the 60s called the lotus 7 so it's a little two-seater really lightweight kind of uh corners around the track very quickly it's not got a human humongously high top speed something around 110 miles an hour something like that but uh quickly corners around the corners much quicker than most other cars, so um, a popular track day car. Um, but uh, I did the Caterham Academy, and what that meant was that uh, I paid them some money, and I bought a car. Uh, in fact, I bought a, car, a kit. I built the car myself, so um, it shipped in boxes. And uh, I spent uh, final three months in the old office, which had a bit of a warehouse. I spent the final three months basically um, building the car, um, and then uh, I got to race that last year. It was a series for completely novice drivers, so it was for all new people and newbies um so we were all racing together i think there was uh 50 odd people that were doing that and um so finished that first year then upgraded the car and progressed it and moved on to uh the next season of that which was called catering road sport which i'm doing this year uh which is about 40 of those people out of the 50 odd that did the first year have progressed on and have carried on um so great camaraderie between people and uh yeah doing lots of racing um Hopefully I'll carry on next year. It's obviously budget dependent. Unfortunately, it's not a cheap hobby, but uh, 
fantastic enjoyable and I've got to, one other friend that's kind of joined me to do it as well so um, that's taken up a fair chunk of my time and free time in terms of uh, you know weekends away and that kind of thing and uh, luckily my wife is also you know really into it so she comes along and supports and uh, it's a bit of a family effort um, other than that I'm not particularly much of a sporting person I like a little bit of swimming I used to years ago when I was at school I used to swim for Reading so I used to be in the swimming club for Reading um, I do so much of that now but just swim for fun uh, but the only other weird and wonderful hobbies I have is I actually play uh, bowls so it's traditionally seen as a bit of an old man's game but I play uh, indoor and outdoor bowls so uh, not it's, there's more young people who play it than you would think but it still primarily is a kind of a, an over 60s game so I'm, I'm probably lowering the club's uh, age group by uh, or demographic by about 30 years by being a member but uh, that's that's my kind of left field hobbies I guess I want, and pinball as well I like pinball machines so I've got uh, a couple of pinball machines in my garage that I, uh, I play when I feel like having a bash at that but uh, that's a, another slightly weird hobby that's uh, very American not many not many British people or English people or UK people are really into uh, pinball and pinball machines so uh, yeah that's my that's my quirky hobbies so uh, that's a really strange mix. I guess if you created some sort of Venn diagram of motor racing balls and pinball, there'd probably be only you. Only me in the middle. Absolutely. I think so. That's really interesting. It's great that you get to switch it off, and obviously, motor racing stuff is really exciting, so we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Yeah, um, absolutely. But uh, with that, I'd like to. Uh, that's been really interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. I've learned things about you that I didn't know, and I've known you for quite a long time. There so you go. Uh, that's been really useful. So uh, thanks very much for your time. No problem. Good to see you, Chris. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers. Well, that is that. Who would have thought, eh? Motor racing, pinball and bowls. What a strange selection of hobbies. Really hope you enjoyed listening to Craig as much as I did. And I'll look forward to seeing you soon for more Take Talks. Goodbye.